Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to America Can We Talk. Today we're going to be talking about the New Zealand mosque shooting, horrific, blaming Donald Trump or Chelsea Clinton, outrageous, the Democrats in the 2020 presidential race. Today we focus on Beto and last, Judge Janine, Dianne Feinstein, free speech, lies, and Fox's cowardly surrender. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to my first five on this Deep Dive Monday. Obviously, the entire world's attention was turned to a horrific shooting in the country of New Zealand, actually two different places, two mosques, in New Zealand, where gunmen opened fire and killed, as it turns out today, they're now saying 50, 50, 50 people killed in this gunman, gunman shooting. The overarching and fract should be the only answer of the world is to just express the deepest condolences, sadness, support for the government, support for the families who lost people. There is just a, it was a horrific thing. And no one should be trying to take political shots at somebody else and blaming them for this incident. But because they are, we're in the mode in this country where we must speak up and respond. We don't just let these ridiculous connections or attachments, uh, false blame, uh, be made by anyone. So to start with, you might have realized Chelsea Clinton, daughter of former president and former secretary of state Hillary Clinton, she, um, to back up what happened to her, she was attacked over the weekend. And I'm going to tell you what happened to her very briefly. She had tweeted out back when all, uh, the attention was focused this past week on the uh, Muslim Democrat member of Congress from Minnesota, Representative Ilhan Omar, had put out the latest in a series of ugly anti-Semitic tweets. Chelsea Clinton had tweeted out, in response to that, in condemnation of anti-Semitism, Chelsea Clinton uh, tweeted out, we should expect all elected officials, regardless of party and all public figures, to not traffic in anti-Semitism. She tweets that out. Chelsea Clinton does that. And then this horrific thing happened in New Zealand at the mosque. And so uh, Chelsea Clinton decided to go over to a rally that was being held at NYU, uh, New York University. And she went over there to, to show solidarity for a group that was protesting or mourning over this horrific uh, shooting in these New England mosques. And so I want to play for you what um, Chelsea Clinton, who by, I didn't realize this, but she's about she's very pregnant, you know, like seven, eight months, very big. She went over to this to show support for these people who were mourning the loss of people at the mosque, and she was attacked verbally by one of the by by at least someone very sympathetic to the um, Islamic faith, very sympathetic to the people who were killed at that mosque. Listen to what this lady says, and then we'll talk about it. This right here is the result of a massacre stoked by people like you and the words that you put out into the world. And I want you to know that, and I want you to feel that deep inside. 49 people died because of the rhetoric that you put out there. Okay, I got to point out this little sound in the background. These, this woman 
getting in Chelsea Clinton's face is accusing Chelsea Clinton of being at least partially responsible for the fact that this gunman in New Zealand opened fire at a mosque because Chelsea Clinton earlier last week had tweeted out criticism of the anti-Semitism of Representative Ilhan Omar. Crazy level accusation. Crazy level. You hear that weird sound in the background. These people somehow in this crowd who were backing this lady, they were snapping their fingers, like somehow instead of clapping and being disruptive, snapping their fingers. So here you have this woman blaming Chelsea Clinton, blaming Chelsea because she tweeted out we shouldn't be anti-Semitic, and the person who happened to have made the anti-Semitic attacks uh, was is a Muslim congresswoman from Minnesota. So my takeaways from this New Zealand thing, first and foremost, horrific. Nothing to say except terribly sorry we can never support violence. Violence is never the answer. Number two, the people on the American left who immediately leapt to blame President Trump, and there were dozens of them, I don't even want to honor them by repeating what they had to say, but the gist of their thing was, well, you see, this guy in New Zealand, he was a white nationalist. He's just like President Trump. He's a white nationalist. And therefore, you know, it's Trump's fault that this crazy person in New Zealand opened fire. Let me make something, and we we can't even, we need to not just ignore that kind of moronic conclusion. We need to be criticizing it. But to be really clear, Three are the points I've got to make about this New Zealand thing. Uh, Number one is on the exact same day, exact same day as this person opened fire at these two mosques in New Zealand, killing as it has now turned out 50 people just on the very same day. There were in this world, in this in this planet Earth, there were numerous jihadist, Islamic jihadist attacks in countries around the world, killing innocent people. Same day, 13 civilians died in fresh attacks in Mozambique, where Islamists have terrorized villagers in remote communities for a year. Another one, at least six people killed by suicide bombers related to trying to finally clear ISIS out. Uh, Jihadists dressed in women's attire attacking people trying to flee the last um, ISIS holdout area in Syria. At least six people killed. Boko Haram, the Islamic terror group in Africa, attacked a Christian village in Nigeria, killing one person and abducting two sisters. Uh, There are more and more. I could go on and on. The point is, there are attacks every day around this world by Islamic jihadists against innocent Christians, against innocent people. It is so commonplace, it doesn't even make the news anymore. I'm not saying this to in any way imply that the New Zealand shooter Not to give him any excuse, not to justify. He needs to be punished. I hope they have the death penalty there. Having said that, we need to recognize how extremely biased and how complacent the media in this country, in this world is, in not reporting with the same sense of outrage all of the shootings and killings and stabbings and beheadings by Islamic jihadists around this world every day. Why don't we get the same level of of outrage about those killings as we have about the killings that happen in those two mosques in New Zealand? The answer in part is violence by Islamic jihadists is so commonplace, it's kind of acceptable. It's kind of like reporting Bill Clinton had another affair. It doesn't even register as relevant. And this is an outrage.
It does matter. Every life matters. Every attack matters. It matters that Islamic jihadists are killing people around the, this world every day. Those, and there were more, even more attacks on the same day as this New Zealand incident than, than I just read to you. There have been the last year thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent Christians, innocent civilians killed by Islamic jihadists in their quest to convert or kill everyone who will not uh, who will not become a muslim and yet will not convert to islam and somehow the only thing worthy of the left-wing outrage in this country is what happened in new zealand last point or maybe next to last point but there is a need to recognize that this shooter in new zealand he is a racist he said that he he talked about Trump as a white nationalist, which he is not, and that we're going to have to go off on that sometime soon to clear, to correct the record because the left tries to conflate or confuse voters by trying to equate President Trump's Make America First or Make America Great and America First mission with race. Trump's mission related to making America great and to putting America first has zero to do with skin color, zero to do with race. It's only the anti-American left and the media mob, the Twitter lynch mob that attacks Trump all the time, that tries to put white nationalist next to Trump. Trump is no white nationalist. He loves America. He's standing up for America, a very different thing. But what this terrorist, this killer who put on like a 76 page diatribe online before he committed these killings, what he did say he believes in? He described himself as an eco-fascist. He's a radical environmentalist. He's not saying that drove him to kill all these innocent people in mosques, but he's a radical environmentalist. Number two, his favorite country in the world, the country he wants the world to be like is the People's Republic of China. The guy is a left-winger. He's a socialist, if not a communist. So where is the left? Because this is what he wrote, what he wrote in his diatribe. He says he is a, so he loves communist China. So why isn't this, this attack the fault of, I don't know, pick your lo local resident communist, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, all the American left has gone so far over the socialist cliff. Even in the guy's own words, they asked him, do you support Trump? And he said, well, to the extent he's a white nationalist, which he is not, I do. He said, but other than that, no, no. He says, he says, as a policymaker and a leader, dear God, no. Bottom line, the rational response to New Zealand's, this shooter, is to condemn violence, but also to recognize that the left uses every incident possible to attack conservatives to attack people who love America, to attack President Trump, to contort the record. And in the case of that woman getting in Chelsea Clinton's face, what her message is, is that because some crazy person in New Zealand engaged in this violent attack at a, at a mosque, at two mosques, Therefore, the answer is no one is ever allowed to criticize anyone who's a Muslim. No one is allowed to, to criticize Ilhan Omar, no matter what she says, what she does, because she's Muslim. She, she's a Muslim. What they're saying is Islam can never be criticized in public. 
Islam and his followers can never be criticized. I got to tell you something, folks. What happened in New Zealand is horrible. It does not change anything about the fact that Islam itself, as you would know if you were listening to my show in the last couple of weeks, Islam, the founding documents of Islam, the Quran, Islamic leaders from the time of Muhammad up until today teach anti-Semitism teach that Jews are less than human, that Jews should be killed. This is in the Quran. It's in all of the Islamic holy writings. It is in the writings and words of Islamic leaders since the founding of Islam. No one gets to tell us we can't talk about that. No one gets to tell us that because that is true, uh, or, or just because some bad thing happened, horrible thing happened in New Zealand, that the rest of us can never talk about the danger and threat posed by Islam and when it teaches and encourages anti-Semitism. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is my first five, way past five, but hey, there you go. Come back, uh, stay tuned. First of all, please stay tuned to America Can We Talk. We're gonna take exactly a three second break and coming back, I am gonna turn to the topic I promised I would do today, which, which is about the Democrat candidates for president. I'm gonna start with Beto. I got a Beto rundown. Take notes, memorize it, share it with your friends who think they might want Beto, because I'm telling you, they don't. Stay tuned. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George S. Thanks so very much for tuning in. Love talking with you every day, every week, every chance I get. In fact, I have to tell you, over the weekend, so many stories were happening, and I was adding them to the list of things to possibly talk about in the show today. And, you know, fast as I talk, I can only really get in well about three topics. So it's always a race on Monday to decide which things to hit today, which stories to hit, and which stories to do throughout the week. Because my entire reason for doing a show, the entire reason I'm here uh, every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time is to talk to you, talk with you about the extraordinary importance of speaking up for America, of defending America. And on that front, I want to begin over the next several weeks to talk about the declared Democrat presidential candidates in 2020. There are now 15 of them. I'm pretty sure the number is 15. I'm going to start with Beto O'Rourke, uh, who that's not really his name. His name is Robert Francis O'Rourke. He is Irish, but he is a Texas citizen. He ran for uh, the United States Senate in Texas and lost. He, cha- he challenged our incumbent Republican Senator Ted Cruz, and he lost. But now he's already announced he's running for president. And before I get off on Beto and things you should know about him and things you should be inspired to memorize, to be ready to tell your friends, I want to just say one thing about what the 2020 presidential race is going to be about. It's really not just about which candidate it ends up with the Democrat nomination. There are a lot of people running. A few of them are pretty much unheard of, but you know, you never know, I guess, how things go in politics. But the overarching direction of the American left is totalitarian Marxism. It is mainstream Democrat ideology, mainstream Democrat theology, if you want to call it that, ideology to push for Marxist totalitarian government. Now, of course, they know not to use those words because most Americans would say, well, gee, we don't want that. So instead of acknowledging the truth of what they stand for, 
many on the left simply fi they find all the language the left always manages to come up with that's just left-wing happy talk blather speak it is when they say words that sound nice you go, well who could be against that i'm in favor of peace and love and justice it's only when you dive in and understand what they're proposing you realize how dramatically and horrifically their policies would harm America if they ever were to seize power in this time. So the test of a Democrat in this country who's even thinking about running for president is will they step back and denounce the radicalism of the American left or not? Will they denounce the path that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is trying to take America down with her Green New Deal? Will they denounce the effort of the Democrat Party in Washington to legally mandate voter fraud? That's what their H.R. 1 bill is. It mandates states to commit and authorize voter fraud. So when you say you want to run for president, if you cannot denounce those things, you have no business running for anything. But it will be incumbent on the American people to do the translation work for the Democrats because they aren't going to do it for you. You're not going to have the mainstream media or any other active players in this country. You're not going to have ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, Washington Post, New York Times, all the big papers. None of them are going to do the translation work that must be done in order for everyone to understand what the left is proposing. It's our job to do that. And I'll just tell you one other quick introductory before we get to Mr. Beto. And that is the an ABC station, ABC, held a panel. Now, the panel was actually, as always in their case, loaded with leftists or loaded with, I mean, leftists is one term. The other, another term for it is they choose people on the American right or allegedly on the Republican side of the aisle side of the, of the country who have no idea what time it is in America, no idea what is happening. Mitt Romney was not on this panel, but he is the poster boy for clueless about what direction our country is headed, clueless about the danger the left poses, clueless about how um, why President Trump is so popular with the people because President Trump is is tuned into he is aware he is tuned into how radically left and how dangerous the American left is today and he is taking strides taking steps to try to contain them but ABC had a had a poll had a, some not a poll they had a panel lined up and they basically were talking about well you know here we go off in 2020 you know what do you think where how are the two parties looking to America. So they got one Republican, real Republican, named Alice Stewart, who said, you know, she noted that candidates on the Democrat side could try to turn away from the socialism label all they want. They can try, but you can't deny the fact that the Democrat Party is moving very, very far to the left. No truer words ever spoken. However, ABC, not even going to let her finish her sentence, uh, the, the not really Republican, the fake Republican, uh, Matthew Dowd, could, couldn't even let her finish her sentence, jumped in, that's ridiculous, that's outrageous, trying to argue essentially that the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party is the one nearer the center of America, nearer where the most people are in their hearts and minds. The Democrat Party, very reasonable, very centrist, and it's the Republicans moving far to the right. I mean, so, I mean, just impossibly 
dishonest and possibly stupid. I mean, you have the Democrats proposing the Green New Deal, ending cars, ending flights, retrofitting every house in America, ending fossil fuels, guaranteeing universal basic income, inflicting socialism. I mean, it is it is like if the socialists from Cuba or China invaded America and took over our government. They wouldn't do anything further left than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez put in the Green New Deal. But I digress. Getting the point, um, my point in telling you this before I go off on Beto is this. The American left, which is pretty much the entire mainstream media in this country, is going to work very hard to put the parameters around to paint the picture to say, okay, before we get deeply into 2020 elections, let's all agree that the Democrats are reasonable, mainstream, Main Street America, and the Republicans are so far out of bounds. They're so right, they're so radical, they're so extreme. And so that's going to be the context in which, through which they report the news to you. It's gonna be the context, it's gonna be the springboard for story after story after story after story. And I say that to say it's your job to put on the correct filter. It's our job. It's everyone involved in working to save this precious, extraordinary country to realize the left is going to try to pitch the left-wing media, the Twitter mob, the lynch mob that is the American left, the media mob, call them what you want. They are going to work very hard to try to portray to you that the Democrat Party is mainstream apple pie America and the Republicans are off the playing field. And exactly the opposite is true. And I think most Americans know it. But this panel is just a little window into how the left is going to function. But let me get on to Beto. I'll tell you my overall, the here quickly is a list of people who've declared. Beto O'Rourke, you know him, Kamala Harris, California uh, senator, uh, I think first term. Uh, Bernie Sanders, a perpetual candidate, senator from Vermont, uh, at least an honest socialist. And by the way, so I saw something, Bernie Sanders, by the way, he actually proposed in the 1980s when he was getting his whole political act rolling, that a government takeover of all industry in America. So, and that idea hasn't gone anywhere from his head. He just knows not that popular to say. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, you know, the fake Indian who's also a socialist. Uh, John Hickenlooper, former Colorado governor. I don't think he has a shot. Jay Inslee, Washington governor, running entirely, the state of Washington governor, running entirely on climate change. Senator Amy, uh, excuse me, Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat senator from Wisconsin, trying to position herself as a centrist, not. Senator Cory Booker, uh, U.S. senator from, I can't remember, New Jersey, I think, uh, very, very leftist. Kirsten Gillibrand, Gillibrand, however you say it, she, upstate New York. She's a U.S. senator from, um, actually near my hometown, but upstate New York, um, also trying to be the moderate, reasonable person. Uh, Julian Castro, former Secretary of HUD, former Rep. Uh, John Delaney, an entrepreneur, Andrew Yang. Um, Tulsi Gabbard, a former U.S. representative. Uh, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say his last name, Buttigieg. And then uh, Joe Biden, who daily holds press conferences announcing he's getting close to announcing maybe he's thinking about it he, he doesn't know what he's doing but i want to focus on beto my overwhelming impression about beto o'rourke is this he's an image candidate he's a you hear people say well he he looks kind of like uh you know he's kind of like a young jfk you know his looks are so you know, he just kind of looks like a cool guy so it's a lot of appearance He's going to have a very hard time convincing the radical leftist Democrat base to go along with a white guy. 
because if anything, all of the efforts that Democrats have spent over the years creating hyphenated America, creating Amer dividing America into groups based on your ethnicity and your national origin, your skin color, all their efforts to divide America are coming home, coming back to roost because there are many people on the left who say, I'm not backing anybody, you know, who's a, a white guy. So he's going to have that problem. But so Beto O'Rourke has the Mr. Cool image. Uh, he's got a white guy problem. But my biggest problem with him is he is a tumbleweed politician. He's a politician who, you know, the tumbleweeds, they are just, you know, back in the Old West when they had weeds that had dried up. And so they're just in big and balls pushed around by the wind. So every time the wind blows, the tumbleweed goes where the wind blows. He, Beto O'Rourke is a tumbleweed politician. He waits to see what's popular. He, he goes along, he's, he jumps at the chance to apologize and issue apologies. I'm so sorry, I never should, never should have said that. He has some problematic things in his background, but he also has that tumbleweed, just tell me what I should apologize for, tell me what I should say, tell me what I should think. Point being, he's not rooted in values. He is aware, actually. He's more tuned than some of the other candidates to the fact that many Americans are frightened by the radical left nature of today's Democrat Party. He's aware of this. He's, he's from Texas. Texas really does not want to hear anything about the radical leftism where the Democrat Party now lives. So Beto is a tumbleweed. He is a Mr. Cool. I'll tell you, I'm going to hit a bunch of specific stories about him, but a really funny thing about him, if you ever watch him in all his videos, not when he's doing a formal Q&A and he's sitting there saying they're answering, but when he's conversing or talking to a crowd, I'm not going to imitate him because my mother would probably think that was rude, but... He's endlessly gesturing with his arms and hands like this, never connected to anything he's saying. Actually, I had one of my best friends in law school who is a really, really, really funny person. She pointed out that one of our professors, first year, you know, they have all these courses first year you have to take. So, you know, first year class you have to take. Some professor we had who she pointed out one time that I could never watch him again without like smirking. He was endlessly gesturing as he's lecturing, but his gestures were unrelated to anything he was saying. He just kind of, he was off on some point in the law we had to learn and, and kind of wildly gesturing and unrelated. I mean, if you watch Beto work, he's bizarrely waving his arms, gesturing, pointing, flinging, and it has nothing to do with what he's saying. It's very, very odd behavior. So, so I want to run through some things about him. Number one, he's very popular. He raised uh, his first day after having declared he's running, he raised $6.1 million. He's an image candidate. And so it is important for people to puncture that image and push in and push back and ask, what is it exactly you stand for? But $6.1 million on the first day, uh, you know, he, he's resonating with some people. They want a Mr. Cool. It's very much like the Obama era, but he's so cool. And this is what I mean. This next two examples of what I mean about this tumbleweed guy. He's a little bit... He's savvy enough to realize that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is in the communist camp. He recognizes Bernie Sanders, radical leftist, socialist. He knows that's not going to fly in America. So, but he also knows he has to try to get, he, Beto O'Rourke, has to try to get the Democrat base to come along with him. 
So on two different issues, he is straddling the fence. He's trying to play both sides. One is the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal, and if you listen to my show, you know because we've talked about it, and I'll talk about it more, but the Green New Deal is a radical socialist takeover of America. It is nothing less. It has about this much to do with environmental regulation. I mean, it has stuff in there about, you know, cutting back. And, and by the way, it isn't even a bill. It's just a, you know, talking points thing that Ocasio-Cortez put up. But it contains some really wild-eyed ideas, like we're going to end reliance on fossil fuels in 10 years, and we're going to end, we're going to somehow deal with car, cow's flatulence. We're going to outlaw airplane rides and cars and any fossil fuel we're going to retrofit every building in this country, homes and businesses, with environmental friendly, whatever they, rules they put in about that, tell you what you have to have in your home, the appliances you may or may not have. It has universal basic income, which is just a socialist dream of making masses of people reliant on the government. That's what there is in the... Um, and the Green New Deal, I mean, we did a show on it a few weeks ago. You can go back and find it if you scroll through either on YouTube or on Facebook. But the Green New Deal is filled with socialist take, oh, a free job for everybody. If you want a job, the government give you a job. Government provide you money, will provide money even to those unwilling to work. Not that people can't find a job or are physically, mentally disabled. Unwilling to work. Don't worry, we'll pay you. It has a guarantee of the idea of housing, that everybody's entitled to fair, adequate, comfortable housing provided by the people, which is the government, which is the taxpayers. So you're going to provide sufficient tax money to the government to give everyone housing that meets the government's standards, whatever they will turn out to be. It also has, among the most sinister things, it has a provision in the Green New Deal that says that the government shall be authorized to take whatever steps are necessary to correct past injustices based on race, ethnicity, skin color, and a bunch of other categories, meaning it authorizes the government to engage in reparations. And I tell all this to say, if you were a so if you were invading communist government of China trying to force America to become communist, you couldn't make a better bill than Ocasio Cortez put forth in the Green New Deal. Now, back to our friend Mr. Beto O'Rourke. He signaled support for the Green New Deal, but he kind of cautious about that. He's a tumbleweed guy. He wants to play it both ways. He wants the people who are concerned about the Green New Deal and realize how radical it is to hear what he says. They, well, you know, he's not really, he didn't really sign on. On the other hand, so he's kind of hedging. No, not really. On the other hand, hasn't seen anything better. His quote was, um, you know, he hasn't seen, I've got to find his quote. He hasn't seen anything better. So the Green New Deal, which would pretty much destroy free market life in America, would give tyrannical level power to the federal government. He hasn't seen anything better. So he's a, I mean, he's a play it both ways. Same thing that he did um, about health care. He originally said that he thought uh, single payer was a great idea, meaning mandated socialized medicine, no way out. Everybody must use this system. He originally said single payer was great. Now he's recognizing that ah, people aren't so hot about this idea. You mean 
because, you know, Kamala Harris let the cat out of the bag when she acknowledged on a stage with a huge audience, yeah, we're going to take away private insurance. You don't need private insurance. Don't worry. We're taking care of everybody. He realizes, he, Beto, realizes he's a Texan. He's got a little bit of that spirit of freedom in him. Ah, this isn't such a hot idea. So now he's saying, we sure support uh, good health care for all. And maybe he used to say a Green New Deal, uh, that the single payer was good. Nah, not so sure about the Green New Deal. My final point on Beto O'Rourke, or maybe my next to final, is this. He's a spineless jellyfish. And the reason I say this is, we live in a time when the American left, the, the Twitter lynch mob, the outrage factory, the perpetual creation of outrage factory, the American left looks for anything to pounce on, pounces, tears apart an innocuous remark, an innocuous statement, and makes it into the most evil, ugly, sinister thing that's ever been said, and then decides, based on that, that you deserve to be vilified with one of the many accusations, many slurs they sling at people. So Beto O'Rourke said about his wife that he was asked something about raising the kids and made a, a sweet statement, as many men have done and some women have done about their own husbands but many men have done which is they're complimenting their wife by saying she sure did a great job raising the kids you know had to do it mostly without me or, or his expression i think was sometimes with my help point being he's acknowledging his wife had far more of the hands-on role raising their children than he did this is a way many politicians and just people in general in life have complimented their wives in public, in speeches, to give credit because raising children is a hugely important and consequential job and they're grateful for a wife who did it well and they're grateful for the children who put up with the fact that sometimes dads have jobs that take them far away. He's been in Washington in Congress and whatever else he's, he's done, I don't know. Point is, this is a guy trying to compliment his wife, and when the, the uh, Twitter lynch mob, the Democrat media mob, pounced on him for being misogynistic. They're calling him misogynistic because he complimented his wife for how well she raised the kids when he wasn't as, as available as he might have been. Instead of saying, what a great guy, giving his wife credit, you know, she must be a great person, they attack him. And this is what and I'm getting to why I'm telling you he's a jelly spine because he does not have that innate pushback in him that I, we need to have in politicians to say, I was complimenting my wife and I'm not apologizing. The end. That should have been all his answer. Instead, he issues one of those stupid, driveling, rambling, idiotic, I'm so sorry, I'm such a terrible person, I never should have said that, blah, 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 blah. Just absolutely ridiculous. Okay, last point on Beto O'Rourke. If I had to do a checklist, by the way, of how I judge candidates, I mean, to be honest and obviously open with you, my listeners, I support, you know, I'm going to vote for Trump. He's not going to have a serious Republican challenger in 2020. And I love what he's doing for our country. He's doing great things. On the left, however, I think every candidate you look at or any of your friends look at, you should at least be aware, where are they in health care? Where are they on border security? Where are they on the Green New Deal, socialist takeover of America? And where are they on life? Last point on Beto. He's from El Paso, Texas which if you're not from Texas, is on the border. In El Paso, he was interviewed asking about 
the border wall. He, of course, you know, support the Democrat view. You know, we don't need a border wall. But listen to what he says about the border wall in this interview. This is Beto O'Rourke. Would you, if you could, would you take the wall down now, here? Yes. Like you have a wall. Absolutely. Knock it down. I'd take the wall down. And do you think the city, you think if if there's a referendum here in the city, that would pass? I do. Here's what we know. Um, After the Secure Fence Act, we have built 600 miles of wall and fencing on a 2,000-mile border. What that has done is not in any demonstrable way made us safer. It's cost us tens of billions of dollars to build and to maintain. And it has pushed migrants and asylum seekers and refugees to the most inhospitable, the most hostile stretches of the U.S.-Mexico border, ensuring their suffering and death. More than 4,000 human beings, little kids, women, and children have died. They're not in cages. They're not locked up. They're not separated. They're dead over the last 10 years as we have walled off their opportunity to legally petition for asylum, to cross uh, in urban centers like El Paso, to be with family, to work jobs, to do what any human being should have a right to be able to do, what we would do if faced with the same circumstances they were. Okay, let me translate that for you into plain English. Beto O'Rourke would abandon all the southern border. Beto O'Rourke is saying because people want to come to America from countries to our south or wherever they come from, he would abandon all border security. He is complaining that the existence of walls would force border crossers to come into the ports of entry, which we have set up. The border wall or the portions of the border where there will be wall will make those portions impassable forcing people to go to the ports of entry where we can legally process them. What he is saying is he doesn't want legally processing. He doesn't want border security. He wants them to be able to come here because they are poor. I think border and everyone has sympathy with low income people around the world. Everyone has sympathy for people living in poverty. But America cannot take in every person in this world who'd like to move here due to poverty. We cannot, we've already suffered a massive increase in illegal border crossers because we have an abandoned southern border, because we don't secure our southern border. Beto O'Rourke is saying it's more important to him to let everyone come into America to drop border security, let everyone come here, and we'll sort it out later, which we know means they disappear into the the, uh, heartland of America, they go to sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, and we never see them again except when they show up at the welfare office. But Beto O'Rourke has no interest interest in securing the southern border. This is a make or break America's future issue. Make or break. And he is saying he would break America. He'd be fine with no southern border. Last point on Beto, I'm going to turn very quickly after this to Janine Perot and Fox, but last point on this. Things came to light in the last week that somehow were hidden during Beto's campaign, well, you know, his uh, candidacy, his campaign for U.S. Senate against our incumbent Senator Ted Cruz. One of them was in a bizarre, uh, I don't even know what to call it, bizarre is a nice word, But Beto O'Rourke wrote a fantasy piece in high school or college, wrote a fantasy story, the fantasy being driving his car and running over and killing children. Now he's saying, oh, sorry about that. That was kind of, I'm sorry about that. He also said, you know, 
I don't think this will hurt me. I don't know if it'll hurt him or not. But, you know, folks, I'm big into the idea that people can repent. People can blossom. They can grow. I don't think you can hold things against people from their lives 20, 30, 40 years ago because I think people do mature and they brought, they prosper, they blossom, they grow. That's a fairly, fairly bizarre thing to have written. And he wrote something else, but it's too crude. I'm not saying it on this show. Last shot on him, Beto O'Rourke has two websites. One is in English, Beto for America. His Spanish language website is called Beto. It's in Spanish, but I'm telling you in English. Beto for all. Beto O'Rourke is telling the illegal immigrant population in this country, vote for me because I'm going to make sure somehow you get to vote and you somehow get a path to citizenship. He didn't put in Spanish, Beto for America or Beto for the United States. He put Beto for all. He is signaling the Spanish-speaking community in this country, especially illegal immigrants, vote for me. I'll somehow make you all legal. So he got a lot of criticism. He backpedal a tiny bit, but that's my take on Beto. We're going to hit all the candidates over the next few weeks on the Democrat side, but I'm telling you, if you want to secure America with an actual border, if you want a leader, a principled leader who will denounce socialized medicine, mandatory socialized medicine, who will denounce voter fraud. Oh, he's all in favor, by the way, of the For the People Act. He's fine with the idea of what the Democrats have proposed, which is essentially to mandate states to commit voter fraud. That's what the Democrats' bill is in Washington. He's fine with that. He can't be our guy. I'm Debbie George S. America Can We Talk? Three second break. We come back and talk very briefly about Janine Pirro and Fox. Okay, my friends, thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk? I want to just briefly talk with you about what's happening with Janine Pirro, Judge Janine. There is a clip I'm going to play in a moment. It is what she said on her uh, show, I think last Thursday or last, whatever day it was. No, she, she's once a week. So it was Saturday a week ago. She, she made a comment related to Ilhan Omar, Representative Ilhan Omar. And she did, the background is not in this clip. She was saying essentially, you know, denouncing Ilhan Omar's uh, anti-Semitism. And then she's saying essentially, where did she get this from? Where would anyone in this country, you're not born... People aren't born hating other people. You're not born hating certain groups because of their religion, their ethnicity, their race. You are taught it somehow. She's getting at where did Ihan Omar's just undeniable anti-Semitism come from. Here's her clip and then we'll talk about it. Party is. Your party is not anti-Israel. She is. Think about this. She's not getting this anti-Israel sentiment doctrine from the Democrat Party. So if it's not rooted in the party, where is she getting it from? Think about it. Omar wears a hijab, which according to the Koran 33, uh, colon 59, tells women to cover so they won't get molested. Is her adherence to this Islamic doctrine indicative of her adherence to Sharia law, which in itself is antithetical to the United States Constitution? Okay, folks, what happened? So she made that statement. This is all in the week when everyone's talking about Ilhan Omar and her endless anti-Semitism. 
preceding her time in Congress, and she's been making anti-Semitic comments since at least 2012, Ilhan Omar has. So Jeanine Pirro's calling it out. She's calling out, and she even gives the Democrat Party credit and says, well, it's not from the Democrats. They're not anti-Semitic. They're not anti-Israel. Well, they are, you know, she didn't say, I'm saying they are anti-Israel. But her point was, where is it coming from? She's obviously implying it comes from her Islamic faith. If you listen to my show last week, in the last couple of weeks, I'm going to urge you to go back and listen to different things where experts came on the show to tell you, to tell us that there is a direct connection between Islam the core teachings of Islam in the Quran, in experts from the time of Muhammad, including the, the uh, Prophet Muhammad, teachers, scholars, up until today in Islamic schools and holy Islamic writings, there is a direct connection between the teachings of Islam and anti-Semitism. The Quran is filled with it, as are many imams and mullahs around the world. But go back to the show on March 7th when John Guandolo joined me. You can scroll back, whether you're watching YouTube, my my website, or you're on Facebook. March 7th, the other one was Chris Holton on March 13th. Both of them ran through the scholarly assessment of the connection between anti-Semitism and Islam. Perot's statement, I think she actually might have lost track of what she was trying to say, Perot's statement, essentially, Jeanine Perot's statement was essentially, you know, where is Ilhan Omar getting all of her anti-Semitism from? It's not the Democrat Party. Where is she learning it? And I think she was, she got, she may have gotten sidetracked in the point she was going to make, which is, you know, she may be getting it from the teachings of Islam. And I encourage you again, go back and listen to those shows. Google whether or not the Quran teaches about killing Jews, urges devout Muslims to kill Jews. It is, the Quran is rife with those kinds of, that kind of language. But on the subject of today, you have Fox News did not play her show, did not let Jeanine Pirro do her show this past Saturday. And I read a little, a little clip, CNN is saying she's been kind of blocked for two weeks. Fox is punishing her for two weeks, not letting her have her show on for two Saturdays in a row. Fox is surrendering to the mob, to the mob mentality that piled on Janine Pirro because she dared to question about the connection between Islam and she mentioned wearing the hijab, which is in the Quran, talks about you wear the hijab to protect yourself, which is fine, free country, you can do that if you want to, but she's, the Fox is not allowing the discussion, in fact, punishing her for raising the discussion, is there a connection between Islam and anti-Semitism? Contrast that with how America reacted when Dianne Feinstein, Dianne Feinstein, U.S. Senator, in questioning of a judicial candidate, a a federal court candidate, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, essentially, Dianne Feinstein attacked this Christian Catholic judicial candidate during her Senate hearing, essentially saying, you have a long history of believing that your religious belief should prevail. When you read your speech, when I read your speeches, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. She was attacking a Christian for her Christian views and questioning whether or not her Christian views were shaping, might shape her opinions on an appellate court. Where was the outrage from the American left over that? You get what I'm saying? Feinstein is perfectly fine with the media mob to attack Feinstein, to, to let Feinstein make this, you know, 
obviously anti-Christian attack on a judicial candidate. And leaving aside, the Constitution says that that Feinstein and the Congress is not allowed to consider the religion of anyone. So they're not allowed to consider her religion. But the, the point is, this mentality is settling in this country that you can't even discuss Islam. You can't, you can't criticize. You can't question. You can't do anything. You simply have to let people, things be said, and you can't ask a thing, including Janine Perot, can't even raise the question, is there a connection between Islam and anti-Semitism, which is really what she was trying to do. This is unhealthy for our country, unhealthy that Fox News so quickly surrendered to the mob, pulled her show, instead of saying, for example, hey, free speech, she's allowed to say it, let the left say what they want to say, they surrendered to the mob. And we're seeing too much of that in this country today. I'm sadly out of time on this show, but this is America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm here every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. And also, if you're watching on Facebook, please share these segments, share these shows, like the page on YouTube, comment, subscribe. Love having this, this American political conversation about preserving this extraordinary country, the human experiment in liberty, America. Talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America? Can you?